Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Do you remember the first letter you answered? I think it was called Desperate in Rockland, and it was about a 16-year relationship. Basically, it was sort of like there were limitations to this relationship, and after 16 years, it still wasn't really good. The main thing I remember about the first letter is that there were all these, like, very normal things, you know, relationship problems, communication problems, and then this line, he won't even show me his feet. Meredith Goldstein is the advice columnist at the Boston Globe. She's been answering letters from readers for more than a decade. And that was the first lesson of, you think you know a problem and you think you know all the details because one letter is like another, but no, 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 no. Then somebody says, this man won't show me his feet. And I just remember really zeroing in on that line and thinking, could I be with someone who was afraid to show me their feet? And I just thought, well, clearly it bothers this letter writer. The letter says... He says he wants what I want, which is a solid relationship, maybe ending up in marriage. I like him, but I find it hard to get to know him. Basically, I think what I did in this answer was to repeat a lot of what she told me. I basically said, here's what you've told us. You've told us you feel like you don't know him. You've told us you want marriage, and he won't show you his feet. And... I just could notice in the letter how unhappy she was and how clear it was that she was asking for permission to end a long relationship. Meredith says she was surprised she was confident enough to tell someone to break up in her very first advice column. But she says she started giving advice a long time ago. Uh, I think I was one of the first kids on the block to have divorced parents in the 90s. And I think that especially after my sister left for college, my mother and I, I was we were learning to date at the same time. You know, I was a teenager. She was in her 40s just trying to figure out what it all meant. And yeah, I, I spoke with great confidence about what I thought <laughs> she should do and what she deserved. And so I remember talking to her about like, well, what is a first date like? You know, what is I, I'd seen more TV than her. Right. So it was like, what are the models of courtship? She remembers learning about relationships from shows like Murphy Brown, Living Single, and Who's the Boss? One of her favorite shows was Moonlighting, where Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard play private detectives who are interested in each other. I mean, I wonder if getting dating advice from a 16-year-old when you're in your 40s is actually the best plan because you don't have a jaded, another jaded 40-year-old telling you stay away from this type of person or this or that. You've got someone who's who's just full of love and has their whole life in front of them. And they're excited, right? Yeah. They understand why it's such a big deal. Like, everything was life or death because to me at that age, everything was life or death, right? You know, it's like, does this boy like me back? Well, it's life or death. And I think, um, you know, getting, especially, you know, suddenly when technology changed and she got on, well, it wasn't even an app at that point. It was like she got on the internet to get on Match.com. Like, that was scary. And it was a scary idea for me, too. So we kind of held hands and, and you know, experienced that for her together. 
Meredith says she also helped her mother write personal ads to run in a local magazine. You had to pay per letter, so they abbreviated every word. She says her mother wanted to say that she had two daughters and that she was hoping to find someone who loved music. Meredith helped her mother squeeze everything in, in less than 12 words. She says that as she got older, she started giving relationship advice to her friends, even though she didn't have that much relationship experience herself. What was it about you, do you think? I mean, why, what quality in you did your friends see, besides you being willing to answer the phone and listen to them, um, that, that drew them? You know, I think people misunderstand what advice is and what advice has to be. Most people don't make decisions because someone has told them what to do. It's just, you know, like if somebody says, oh, break up with your partner, you're probably not going to do that unless you really want to. And I think friends knew that if they came to me, I wasn't just going to give them a list of demands. I wasn't going to make them feel bad. I was going to try to figure out what they wanted. My philosophy was and and continues to be, I really want to listen, hear what this person has to say, and then help them figure this out. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. How did you come up with the idea that you'd maybe want to start writing an advice column? The idea really stemmed from my interest in the changes in the world in terms of how people were interacting with each other and the fact that they needed a forum to talk about that. I remember really starting to write a lot of technology stories about human contact when Facebook became public to non-college students. You know, like suddenly you could look up an ex-boyfriend from high school if you were in your 50s. Like, was that good? Would it threaten your marriage? There were all these questions we had to answer that we had never had to ask before. But it also had a lot to do with the fact that I was living in Boston. And people in Boston are very local. Like, we are a city that believes we have a rivalry with New York, even though we don't. (laughs) I mean, maybe in baseball, but we're not competitive with New York in many other ways. But we are incredibly proud of ourselves. We love movies about ourselves. You know, Boston is a character in and of itself. And I just thought, well if there was a very local advice column, that would be great because people might feel like they're reading a letter from someone right down the street. The Boston Globe had had something like an advice column before, starting in the late 1800s. By 1922, it had a name, Confidential Chat. People sent in problems and other readers would reply. One letter reads... Will some of you please tell me what to do for a canary that has asthma almost constantly? And I wonder if the readers could give me some advice on the care of a Christmas cactus plant. I read the confidential chat every evening in the hope of seeing some reference to this plant. People would write in to say they felt very lonely, and others would reply, identifying with them. One person wrote, I'm in the same boat as you, silence most of the time. Like you, 43 years of marriage. I'm alone most of the time as husband spends all his time in his cellar, except for sleeping and meals. Someone wrote saying they wanted help feeling more confident, and someone else replied, Embroidery is a relaxing pastime. Always finish anything you start, take vitamin B pills, and let me know how you're progressing. Confidential Chat was published until 2006. 
Two years later, Meredith Goldstein pitched her column. So I went to editors at The Globe, and and Marty Baron was the editor of The Globe at the time. And, you know, he's a little serious. Um, Maybe not the kind of guy you go to to say, what I really think we need is an advice column. But I, I made the case to him and to other editors that advice columns are a time capsule. And that when we look back at, you know, newspapers of the past, go to the advice column and you will learn just as much, if not more, about society than the rest of of what was written. I truly believe that if you look at, um, you know, Ann Landers, uh, if you look at the Bintel Brief in old Jewish newspapers, you will get quite an illustration of how people lived at any given time. In Yiddish, a Bintel Brief means a bundle of letters, and it was also the name of a popular advice column in New York's Yiddish newspaper, The Forward. Beginning in 1906, the Bintel Brief offered new immigrants advice on surviving and adapting to life in New York City. Bintel Brief editors answered questions about falling in love with someone from a different religion, deciding whether or not to get married, and how to deal with falling out of love. Reading these historic columns meant a lot to Meredith, and by the end of 2008, she had successfully made her case to start her own advice column in the Boston Globe. It almost felt like, you know, I'm going to try this, maybe it'll work, maybe not. And pretty much by day five, I was like, this is real, the letters are real, this is happening, it's coming in, and I need to take this quite seriously. What are some of the most common topics that people write into about? Um, When I first started the column, problems were technology-related. People were snooping a lot. People were breaking into each other's emails, Facebook messages. Um, this this idea that we all had these, like, online personas only made people wanted to want to know more about what their partners were doing. Um, for the whole time I've been doing this, people have struggled with the idea of marriage. What does it mean? Why do we do it? Are they ready? How can it be more of a joint decision moving forward, especially in straight relationships? You know, I think people are trying to reframe what is like a deeply traditional thing even now for a lot of people. Um, I think people really struggle with like how happy they're supposed to be, right? Like how hard is it supposed to be? Uh, We just had one of these letters again this week. What is an emotional affair and am I having one? People will, you know, write to me and say, like, am I actually cheating? I have no idea. Like, I mean, don't you think the answer to that is just yes? I mean, if you have to ask, it's probably (laughs) yes, right? I mean, I I think so. But uh, but also I think that people have been raised to believe that, you know, especially in straight relationships that you're that, you know, especially I find this with older people and some younger people. I'm shocked at how many people truly find it odd to make friends with someone, you know, who is not their spouse and who, you know, if they're a woman who might be a man. It's it's really, I think one thing I've learned is how much has not changed. That I will think all of these readers have transcended all of these limitations put on them. And maybe they have externally, but maybe not internally. So like, oh, well, this feels weird because I'm talking to this guy who isn't my husband all day. Well, do you talk to your women friends or any friends, you know, who are? It's, it, it's shocking to me um, how some of the old rules really make people doubt themselves. We'll be right back. 
Support for This Is Love comes from Indeed. Hiring someone new can sometimes feel like finding a missing puzzle piece. The right person can complete a team, but the search can take a long time. And sometimes it feels entirely up to chance. Indeed is designed to help you find that perfect match much easier and much faster. Indeed's matching engine learns from your preferences for job candidates and becomes more accurate over time. That means the more you use it, the better it gets. You also need to worry about the busy work of hiring. Indeed will help you with scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Listeners to this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash thisislove. Just go to Indeed.com slash thisislove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash thisislove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I hate it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you, you belong, and I'm telling you, you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. Many people say the first-ever advice column started in the 1690s in England in a publication called The Athenian Mercury. People wrote in with very big questions, like, is there a large part of the world still left to discover? The answer was just one word, yes. Someone wrote, who are wisest, those who marry for love or for convenience? The answer was, There is no degree of wisdom in either, but they are both fools if they marry for one without the other. Love, without the necessary conveniences of life, will soon wear threadbare, and conveniences, without love, are no better than being chained to a post for the sake of a little meat, drink, and clothing. But if we compare the small degrees of each together, much love and moderate convenience is far better than the most plentiful estate with little or no love. By the mid-1900s, there were hundreds of advice columns in newspapers across the country. Some advice givers became household names. Dorothy Dix, who wrote a column from 1896 to 1950, got the nickname Mother Confessor. She often told the women who wrote in that they should be respected for the work they did at home, When one reader wrote in saying her husband wouldn't give her any money, 
Dorothy Dix told her she should go on strike. She said, let him come home and find no dinner because the cook has struck for wages. Let him find beds unmade, the floors unswept. Let him find that he hasn't a clean collar or a clean shirt. In the 1950s, two new advice columnists got started. Twin sisters Epi Letterer and Pauline Phillips, better known by their pen names, Ann Landers and Dear Abby. Both became known for their humor and one-line responses. Dear Abby once told a letter writer, wondering if she should reunite with her ex. Three strikes and a man is out, no matter how good his pitches. Some men are great to date, but not to mate. For her column, Meredith Goldstein has developed a routine for responding to letters. She writes her first draft in the evenings. In the morning, she'll make a cup of coffee and reread her responses before publishing them. I have to be really careful about when I answer questions, how much sleep I've had, whether I'm hydrated. I mean, this sounds like I'm preparing for a marathon, (laughs) but in some ways it's my marathon, right? I'm never going to run a real marathon. I also have have to be careful about what I'm listening to. So... I have noticed that I'm incredibly manipulated by music. So if I'm listening to Janet Jackson and, like, upbeat music that is dancey or joyful, um, my favorite songs, I am much more likely to give positive, upbeat advice. And if I am listening to sad singer-songwriter breakup songs, I, I might feel a little bit differently. So I really try to isolate myself from musical influences. I mean, maybe it's I'm a child of a musician, but wow, can like a breakup song get in my head. Meredith's column runs Monday through Friday. She estimates she's answered a few thousand letters over the years. She's seen all kinds of things. What to do when a friendship turns romantic, how to deal with a crush at work, how to break up with someone and tell them they need to move out. And when you get all of these questions, I mean, how do you sort through them? How do you decide what is the criteria? This is going to be most relevant to this most people. This is going to be the most entertaining. This is something we haven't heard about before. How do you pick? The thing about it is, is like sometimes the most average-seeming, common, basic question is the question that hits everybody really hard because it's something we've all been through. I mean, my favorite letters are breakup letters because it doesn't matter who you are. If you have been dumped, it is awful, especially if you didn't see it coming. So I I started to realize that the weirder the letter, yeah, maybe sometimes it's an interesting read, but these shared experiences that we have is why advice columns become such a community. Because when, when somebody really writes in about an emotion they're having, uh, you know, like a a feeling that they're going through, so many people can relate. And it's really validating for other people. It's really a gift to tell people why you're miserable and how, I think, sometimes, especially when it comes to love. So for the most part, you know, I, I assume every letter has the potential to help someone beyond just the letter writer. Did you ever stop yourself and think, who am I? Who am I to think that, I, that I'm the right person to be counseling people? I mean, I know my friends ask me and I help my mother, but... Yeah, like literally every day. <laughs> 
But yeah, every day, every day I say, what qualifies me? And I think that's good to check in with yourself to say, like, what am I bringing to the table? What's my lens? You know, especially um, over the years, I think a lot about, well, I'm a single white Jewish woman who's unmarried in my 40s now, right? So like, I bring that lens with me and I have to be very aware of it. Not all my readers are like me. Not all my letter writers are like me. So how do I broaden my my lens to accommodate? And I think that's why it's so great that there are so many different kinds of advice columnists now. But it's something I think about and I'm, I'm very aware about a lot. But I think if I came to you and said, I never question it, well, then I would give terrible advice. I'd be the kind of person who would give terrible advice. Meredith ends every letter by asking for reader responses, and she often gets hundreds of them. She told us that the people who respond to her column feel like a community of strangers trying to help each other, even if they have different advice to offer. I always knew, in fact, the way I pitched it was that I said, I don't want it to just be me. Because then somebody else could say, well, actually, Meredith, I've been divorced, and here's what I think, or Meredith, you got this right, or Meredith, you got this very wrong. So I loved the idea that people could disagree with me, and it became more like group conversation as opposed to me just being a final answer, which kind of takes the edge off. She says over the years she's had people check back in to let her know how things are going. Often, I am somewhere and someone will come up to me and say, I wrote you a letter, which, by the way, panics me because I'm like, oh, God, I hope my advice was good. But I have met many letter writers in person. In fact, last summer, uh, sort of, I think it was the first summer of COVID, I wound up meeting a a letter writer from years prior. And he had written about sort of his single life and about, you know, he was looking for a boyfriend and and things weren't going that well. And I had answered so many letters by the time that I met him that I just thought, I'm so glad I took that letter, like any other letter, so seriously because, you know, he told me he really took the advice to heart. And to have a friendly stranger just say, like, it's probably going to be okay, just keep at it. Uh, and it's okay, and and I'm with you, you know, like, that was really helpful to him. And and it was helpful for me to remember that every person I'm talking to is a, is a real person out there. And, and you know, I was just excited to know that, that it helped and that his life continued to be good. And similarly, a few times a year, I do a call out for updates from letter writers, and a lot of people do write in. And sometimes they're writing in five years after they wrote in to begin with. And... I love knowing that there is no such thing as closure. And I say that because maybe their problem was solved, whether it was my advice or how they interpreted my advice or just time passing. But now they have a new problem. It's actually really lovely, the fact that, like, no one experience will define us. You know, like, it might seem really bad today, but... Tomorrow might be fantastic, and a month later we might be dealing with something else. So what I really love is hearing from letter writers who are like, actually, now I've got six other issues <laughs> and six new happy stories to tell you. Have you ever responded to a letter writer privately? You know, just not not in the column, but you felt like you wanted to write back to them? Yeah, I think that um, certainly when I keep in touch with letter writers, there's a back and forth, and, and often letter writers will write back to me after my advice and say, oh, well, like, I probably should have told you this other thing, this thing I left out. And I'll say, oh, that's interesting. We'll go back and forth because, you know, sometimes my advice is so wrong to them that they know exactly what to do because I was so wrong. So that's interesting, too. And I never take that, you know, as some big knock. I mean, I think, if anything, it's 
It's like, in any way I can be helpful. If what I say makes absolutely no sense to you and you know you want to do the opposite, great, I've still done my job. So I really like it when letter writers write back and tell me more, and then I tell them more. So I, I think that sort of extended private conversation happens. Not all the time, but it does happen. I think the act of writing the letter is far more important than my advice in some ways. So many people have told me that the act of writing it down, the act of typing it, the act of sending it, the act of choosing what to tell me and what not to tell me helped them get to an answer. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. In 1975, Epi Letterer, otherwise known as Ann Landers, made front-page news when she wrote about her own personal life. After 36 years, Letterer and her husband were divorcing. In her column the day the news came out, she didn't answer a reader's question. Instead, she wrote about what she was going through. Quote, In my 20 years as Ann Landers, this is the most difficult column I've ever tried to put together, I do so after many hours of soul-searching. Should it be written at all? Would it be appropriate? Would it be fair? I've decided yes, because you, my readers, are also my friends. I owe it to you to say something. That we are going our separate ways is one of life's strangest ironies. How did it happen that something so good for so long didn't last forever? The lady with all the answers does not know the answer to this one. Afterward, she received some 30,000 letters from readers. When Meredith first started writing her column, she tried to keep the details of her life relatively private. She only shared personal stories if they were a few years old. She used pseudonyms for old boyfriends. You know, when people ask me, are you single, right? Like, I'll sort of say, oh, well, I file single on my taxes, right? I mean, I, I try to protect the people in my life, the people who I might date from people knowing much about them. You know, this is not sex in the city. I'm not writing about what I'm doing every day. But certainly, my perspective and my lens is relevant. So I have to to tell them some things about myself. And I'm okay with that. But I think the timing is important. So, yeah, I've really tried to be like, oh, well, let me tell you, a year ago I had a blind date. And that feels much safer than last Wednesday I had a blind date. Do you ever get a letter that hits too close to home? 
The letters that really hit close to home, too close to home for quite a while, were letters from single women who were like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to participate. And I say that because for a lot of the years that I've done this, like, I just was like not that interested in dating. So here I was dishing out all this advice to people about their love lives. And I was very much happy with my friends and my family and like, you know, decorating the places that I lived and, and my own friends would say, like, isn't it time for you to focus more on dating? And and I'd be like, no, 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 other people can do it. They can write to me about it, right? And I felt very much like a voyeur, but a happy one. Meanwhile, I was telling all of these people, get out there, like, try this. And in some cases, it's because those people wanted to be coupled, for sure. But I always felt a little bit hypocritical, like, where I would tell people to take risks that I didn't take. And, you know, there is some beautiful accountability to that, right? Like if I realized I was not doing something because I was scared of rejection or scared of what it would mean, I would say, well, what would I tell a letter writer? And sometimes it forced me to do something I wouldn't otherwise do. I remember going on a blind date one night in the snow in Boston because I I really wanted to cancel. But I was like, I would tell a letter writer to go. Like you kind of feel like you have this, um, you kind of feel like you have this Greek chorus of people watching behind you saying, wait, you told me something different. (laughs) So it keeps me honest. As you kept doing this, did you find that you were hearing more from your from your family, your your mother and your sister when you're starting out or um, from friends thinking, okay, well, she's got a column, so she must be the person. She's an expert now. She must be the person we, we, we go to. You know, they'd always started to do it, but this had cemented your status. It definitely cemented my status. I think what I noticed was that my friends and family internalized my advice a little bit to strangers. So during a lot of the early years of the column, my mom was being treated for cancer. And, you know, it was a lot of difficult years of of her having that treatment and, and being sick. And the column was actually a real high point for her in her day. She would wake up and read the column and we would talk about it and we would, you know, talk about the commenters that were commenting and we would talk about what advice she would have given the letter writer. It was really this incredible break for both of us from, you know, a really difficult time. But sometimes she would read the advice I would give a stranger and say, well, is that a commentary about what you think about my past relationship? Or is that what you think about me? And I would say, no, no, no. And occasionally she was right. Um, Sometimes my friends will text me and say, is your advice about me? Are you trying to basically subtweet me and tell me something you think about my life? And I'm like, no, I wasn't thinking about you at all. But I totally get it because when you're reading the advice of a close friend who knows your situation and the letter writer, the letter reminds you of yourself, of course you're going to take that advice like it might apply to you. But I always tell friends and family, like, it's not about you. Stop stop thinking it's about you because I really have to isolate, you know. It's different when you know the person. You know too much. One day in 2010, when Meredith was helping her mother go through chemotherapy, she got a letter from a reader who was also dealing with cancer. A person wrote in about their spouse, a woman who had survived breast cancer. She wrote in, she wrote in and talked about how she was ready after recovering from all of this treatment for breast cancer. She was ready to start her life again and she was ready to have sex with her partner and she was ready to enjoy things. And he was having a tough time participating. He was not interested in sex. He was not ready to experience the joy she was feeling after 
concluding this treatment and feeling better. In her letter, the woman wrote, He knows I'm not happy, but he feels that the marriage is okay. Well, it's not. I hate ultimatums, but I don't know what else to do. And the response I gave, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but it so much had to do with where my brain was. I basically told this person, give your husband a break. Like, you have gone through this terrible thing and have recovered, thank goodness. But he might be crashing a little bit from the worry, from all the caregiving, from just having um, the anxiety of, of just hoping a loved one is okay. And I wrote this advice, and it published, and not long after, my mother came to me and said, was that advice about me? And I was like, you know, what letter? And she said, the one about the cancer. And I was like, no, 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 that was about, like, a woman who wanted to have sex with her husband. Like, how could that possibly be about a mother-daughter situation? And she, she said, read it again. And I read it and I was really embarrassed because what I was basically telling my mother in not, in not so indirect terms was, I'm exhausted. Caregiving is exhausting. Um, I am worried all the time. I am tired. I, I I need a break. And I would have never wanted her to know that, you know? And I sort of had to say to her, like, I'm so sorry that this was so transparent because it certainly wasn't transparent to me as I was writing the advice. You know, I still think about that letter to this day because I always worry that I was too rough with the letter writer, you know, who had just been through her own ordeal. It was, it was really complicated. Do you ever think, you know, when you get letters from people, do you ever have an urge to just write? I mean, maybe this is one of the instances where you just want to say, if you only knew how good you had it, stop complaining. You know, I think actually, I know that when I got dumped in my 20s, early 30s, I was miserable for months. I was an absolute drip. I was annoying to all of my friends. I was a mess. And yet, I might have actually been less that way when I lost my mother, who was like the most important person in my life. It's not that one loss meant more than the other. It's just where I was in my life. One felt like a rejection, one didn't, right? And so I think when we think about, well, why are you making such a big deal of this thing that isn't even a problem? Like, just be glad you're healthy. Just be glad you have food. Just be glad. It doesn't matter. If you are having a relationship problem, it makes you feel really sad or insecure. It can feel so much larger than the other very tangible problems in your life. So I never look at anybody and say, oh, that's not a big deal. Because if it feels like a big deal, it's kind of a big deal. You've been doing this for a long time now. What have you learned? I think the biggest thing I've learned is that so many people see endings as failures. And I wish they didn't. You know, I hate the the phrase, oh, failed marriage, right? Well, like... Marriage is really hard. Everything is really hard. And not everything is meant to last forever. So I've really learned that to think you have failed at something because it did not work out exactly as you hoped makes us all doomed in a way that I I don't accept. I think the other lesson I've learned is that I really thought that writing an advice column would make me sad, that I, I worried that by hearing problems all day, I would think, oh, all, all of us are doomed, right? All of, you know, if, if people are writing in and I'm only hearing the bad stuff because they certainly don't write in when they're happy, um, you know, that I would be really cynical about love. And if anything, it has only made me less so because I just think about 
all of these people out there who just want to do it right. Like, they feel bad when they're doing it wrong. They want to treat somebody well, and they want to meet somebody who's good for them. Or they want to be single and love that, too. Like, it makes me feel like all of these things are possible if we're all sort of on the same page about wanting the best for us and other people. So I actually turned into a really annoying, optimistic person because of this column. And to friends and family, I apologize. But um, I went in... I went in a little bit as somebody who rolled their eyes at love. And now I'm like, I really believe in it. And I really believe that it's possible for all types of love to bring us great joy. This is Love is created by Lauren Spohr and me, Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Libby Foster, and Samantha Brown. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Russ Henry. Meredith Goldstein's column runs Monday through Friday in the Boston Globe. She's also the host of a podcast called Love Letters. We'll have a link in show notes. Learn more about the show on our website, thisislovepodcast.com. And if you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at This Is Love Show. And we're also on TikTok at criminal underscore podcast. This Is Love is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge, and this is Love. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.